Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh guys Welcome to the Ali Ann Podcast I'm your host Ali Adnan Radha Joined by my co-host Ali Not Adnan Radha <laughs> Also known as Ali Hamid <laughs> Yes <coughs> Okay Control Controller day Today we have a very special guest joining us um, She goes by the name of Alicia Prakash I call her Alprax because I cannot be bothered to pronounce all these conflicting syllables every time I have to take her name. So, you know, it's easier. Also, you know, uh, there was a phase in my life where I used to call her Alicia, like A-L-E-E-S-H-A. And, you know, just to save everyone that embarrassment, I shortened it to Al, Alprax. And that's basically, I know it sounds like an antibiotic, but I swear she has more to bring to the table than just a funny name. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over the mic to Alicia. Please introduce yourself better than I did. <laughs> okay, so hi, my name is Alicia Prakash. Um, I'm 17, I go to the Indian High School, and um, I am passionate about writing, dance, poetry, um, karate, golf, you name it, I've probably done it. <laughs> so yeah, um, it was, it's good to have, uh, it's good to be have, had on. How do, you, how do you say that? How do you normally say that? It's it's good we, to be here. Yeah, that, you, you're fine. It's good to be had on. It's fine. Right. It, it's nice. It's nice that you said. It's nice that you said. Um, it's good to have you because then it's like you're interviewing us. You no, know, I'm trying used to, to trying to reverse psychology, <laughs> reverse psychology <laughs> inception. That shit. I see what you're trying to do. You want to control the interviewers. It'll, it'll go from Make the Ali ask you what they want. The podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. It reminds me of the interview. Like if you say one word different from the script, you die. <laughs> no, no, I'm Instantly. always used to interviewing other people, so it's all. No, nah, like I, 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 I understand. I understand. It's yeah. all right. So there. Okay. You go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's perfectly normal. Um. So Al, start us off here. Tell us, tell us about where you think. Tell tell us about the time where you know conscious thought hit you. Like, what did you? experience that made you think that shit i am now someone who can think deeply about the world who can understand what's going on around me what was that defining moment for you where you thought that your life started to you know take a turn and you started developing into something of an adult tell, tell us about that that turning point start from your start from your childhood because i know um, your childhood has been a very mature one yeah um okay so um i was born in the uk um i think um so i was raised by my aunt and uncle and it was a strange thing to be raised by them because um i, I used to call them papa and aunt and it did not make sense to me as a kid because I wasn't sure why I would call like parent figures because I was going to school. I understood that there's something called uh, like parents. And I, instead of calling my parent, uh, you know, these so-called parents, parents, I was, you know, referring to them as different things and it did not make sense to me. Um, but I went with it uh, because, you know, childhood, you just go with these things. You just, you know, it's part of life and then um as I you know I, I used to have trouble with um in you know sleeping I had insomnia and it was triggered by multiple things nightmares um it's kind of hereditary and it's sort of all so I was already set out um I'm uh, biracial I'm from um 
my mom's from the UK and my dad's Indian. And that was one thing that set me out. Um, then there was the insomnia. There was, you know, my inferiority complex because my cousin was, you know, the charmer, the, you know, the... He, he he seemed to, you know, enjoy the public attention, the public guy. He was the one who attracted the attention. I was the one who, you know, would sit in the corner of the room, probably the library, and, you know, with my nose deep in books and, you know, absorbing these characters. Mm. And today, to this day, I like to think that I'm an amalgamation of all of those characters that I've read to this point. You know, it's, it's so, interesting yeah, um, because... I was, you know, just educating myself about the world. and But I was still very, very quiet. I would not speak to anyone. And um, my nightmares, uh, you know, made me feel like I'm the weirdo, that I'm, you know, I'm the odd one out. I'm I'm so, wrong in a certain way. I, I was... Yeah. I'm not right, you know, in, yeah. in a very DNA kind of thing. Yeah. And well, very, very relatable, it, to be really, honest. Yeah, mm -hmm. I understand. Very relatable in a sense. Uh, because I remember back in like third, fourth grade with myself as well, I was a very, I wouldn't say heavily introverted person, but I was definitely different from most people. Like people had a, had a thing for picking on me because I guess just thought differently than them and I had different priorities at the time. So I remember that to entertain myself, the activity that I did most, like top, was reading really, really fat books on my own to the point where I would finish, you know, like 400, 500 page novels in two, three days tops. And uh, it just became a habit, like, you know, self-isolating, yeah. growing up by myself. It just, and I wasn't even bothered by it. I was like, this is normal. Uh, I had, I had a, I had a perception that, you know, I was just not going to fit in. I, I kind of unfortunately came to terms with it at the time. And so I would self-isolate. I would read a lot of books. I would, uh, you know, I would, I would still try and make friends, but I was okay with the fact that I had maybe one, max two of them because I didn't need them to keep myself entertained, if that make any sense. And I think, no, I, get, uh, I get that, I get that. And I think around maybe like eighth grade, ninth grade-ish, uh, my personality started to develop a bit more where I became a lot more extroverted. I said that, no, I have to get to know people. I have to get people to like me. I have to appeal to people. So I started getting to things like public speaking. I, 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 did, I wrote my first one or two quote-unquote rap songs at the time to give you an idea of the quality of bars that I was oh, dealing boy. with. Oh, it no. was, uh, look oh, at no. Nelson Mandela. Look at Nelson Mandela. He was a great oh, fella. No. That, was the, uh, that was the extent of my rhyming at the time. So, yeah, I, I started doing all these things with um, the subconscious intention of, you know, appealing to a larger audience and getting attention for myself because I, I felt that I'd been lacking in those departments, if that makes any sense. And, you know, that, that changes you. That makes you go like, yeah. you know, you need, to, you need to do something for yourself. You need to make yourself heard. Like, why do these people think you're so different? You need to prove to them that not only... And see, this is I would say this is kind of like a flaw in my character, but I feel it's also what keeps me afloat. Uh, yeah. I used to think that not only do I have to prove to these people that I'm not weird or overly different, I need to prove to these people that I'm better than them. And this particular trait of mine, while it did cause me a little bit of damage, I think it's given me the mental 
health, strength, and stability to be where yeah. I am today, right? I think, it, I it, think it, in it's, that it's this thing called sense, an ego death, to be honest. Yeah, in that sense, uh, you're, you know, I'm, I'm the complete opposite because I never really was bothered by attention, fame, or anything. I was just, you know, I was just being me. But then I think people would definitely pick on that as a sign of weakness now, before then, but now it's not as a sign of weakness anymore. But before it was used to be like a sign of weakness that you're just silent yeah. and you're shy and you know you're different from the others like oh wow you're weird you yeah, know, you're yeah. not fitting in with anybody and you know you're just not you know there uh i guess it's just more or less like as i also grew up like back in ninth or, i mean i i didn't have problems making friends it's just more or less like i struggled with the connection you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if i were to tell you if i the only the first time i got like a stable friendship was in like eighth or seventh grade yeah yeah. So yeah, that that in that sense, it's just like, you know, that's when you really start to you know develop as a person more, and you just get into the idea of all, the whole, um, you know, oh, you know, you're going to be a different person from here on. You know, you're going to have yeah. to like, yeah, you know, do a lot of different things from here, and then you're just going to go ahead. And yeah, I I completely get that. But then this, I, I guess the superiority superiority thing just doesn't you know connect with me as much as you think. I get what uh, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Al, yeah. what about you? What What do you think? Was there any complex that you felt like you needed to connect? Yeah. How did How did that make you like? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, branching off the complex. How did you, you know, uh, how did your responses to, you know, being considered the weird one, and, you know, so on and so forth. How did they change over time? Like as you grow as a person because obviously you have a lot of extroverted tendencies even now you're a very confident public speaker i can tell you've done radio shows or something similar to radio shows from what i've seen you can get into that later but uh how did you grow and develop as a person with the same sort of suppressive you're not the same as us kind of um you know experience that you had it's nice to see that the soul of this podcast is so connective there's a lot we can relate to. But yeah, please go on. Don't let me overspeak. Okay, so um, I think my the only person that I've truly cared about so deeply, apart from my sister now, would be my uncle. He, he raised me sort of in his own image, you know? And he kind of recognized that I had the inferiority complex, that I, you know, uh, I, I used to constantly compare myself to the characters in the books to my cousin to because he was the he was he's just six months older than me so it's it's like we were like brothers and sisters and it was just like you know we he being your cousin sorry to interrupt and yet he being so your different. cousin right hmm? he being your cousin not your uncle yes okay so um we're both like we're both raised in the same household the same you know or environment and yet we're so different and you know that kind of uh, stung my aunt and it you know oh. she would really just tell me straight to the face that why aren't you like him and I I, I didn't know how to respond to that and uh, so from when I was one year old to three year old I was sort of like you know the very quiet child uh, I, I would learn really fast because I had the adapting memory but um, otherwise I wouldn't you know use it because they want me to use my talents to, you know, do good, be productive. And I was, you know, I just kept to myself. And that was kind of 
contrary to all that they believe in because they feel that whatever you have you must use to the best of your abilities and it was good it was just you know they got to the point that they were being you know verbally abusive Hmm. and that was just getting toxic and then um I started evolving after we had to stop you know we started moving around because my uncle was the VP of um IBM and then later Mahindra and So because of that, the headquarters kept shifting every six months. So I have, uh, so between three to six, I have lived in six cities. And uh, that would be like um, New York, London, Paris, Beijing, Tokyo, and St. Saint- Petersburg. Uh, that's that's like, not I'll- culture. That's not culture shock. That's culture electrocution, man. Exactly. And <laughs> I was, uh, and I, I was, um, so because I was moving around a lot and because I had my books, uh, I, and I would, because my uncle recognized that the moment I moved around, I would start, you know, going back into my cocoon and, you know, settle down with my books. So instead he, you know, started teaching me the languages that are, you know, part of my tradition. I am a polyglot. I speak 11 languages and, um, it's kind of like... Casually throw that in there. Casually (laughs) throw that in there. What language do you speak? So, um, I think so. There's a whole story behind the, you know, tradition. uh, How it is tradition now. But um, I think he taught me in the hopes that because I know so many languages and I understand the nuances of language, I would be able to communicate my uh, like with other people. And apart from that, he also understood that I love books, I love words, and therefore uh, I could connect with you know fictitious characters because they were the ideals that I had set for myself. And he wanted me to sort of you know instead of just reading about it and understanding it and adapting it he wanted me to apply it in real life and you know not necessarily be an extrovert but maybe an ambivert would be good enough because the way I was you know cocooning myself like within myself was um to the because of you know not standing up for uh, to the bullying and he didn't want to you know always be there and you know tell the other kids off from bullying he wanted me to stand up for myself so he sort of you know pushed me to do better with myself to do to do justice to myself so learning languages communicating with people making friends on the spot I was he was basically training me to acclimatize to change and I think that even today I think that was the most important lesson because there will always be changes in life you have to be able to adapt to it and do the best that you can and thrive in change so he was basically teaching me to you know push myself out of the comfort zone and you know make the uncomfort zone my comfort zone so yeah that was how I sort of evolved and um I still had the I still do have the inferiority complex it's just that uh my uncle trained me to be you know more head on and determined and gave me all these right values and you know made you know trained me to have a work ethic and work towards my goals so that even if like all these feelings and you know toxicity it hurts I would still have like you know I, I would still be surrounded by all the things that I need to do to do justice to myself and oh. you know grow as a person he really so, was a father figure from from what I can tell now yeah um, exactly he was, don't mind me asking where were your parents in all this? Um, so when when I was younger, when um, so basically when I was forty five days old, 
um, my parents had come to the conclusion that they are irresponsible. And, well, they were, because they just did that and then had me. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then well they just dropped me off at my uncle and aunt's place and um they went That's to harsh. grow in their careers and i hadn't seen them for like six years so i didn't yeah. know who my parents were and um so growing up in that kind of you know environment where i'm calling these people my parents but i know because then their surnames are different that they're not my parents and it, it was just such a confusing way to grow up, but I, can only I made do with what I had, yeah. and I think that was all. I, it's still it's what it's still what I do today that I, you know, make do with what I have, and they're still ir- irresponsible. I can't, you know, you can't change people after that. You know, they've grown uh, grown into adults and they have made these de- decisions for themselves. You have it to is, it you is know, hard. fend for yourself. It's really yeah. hard to change your thinking like that. Yeah, so you have to fend for yourself, and mm. that's exactly what I did. Um, and, yeah. yeah, I sort of adapted to every single situation that came my way. And um, I, I guess I always had, like, you know, an existential crisis that was always... It was always happening, and I just had to, you know, learn to cut corners and you know fit everywhere i can and you know make the best of what i have so oh, bear girls needs to take some notes real survival <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah um but then I, at some point um after i uh, but then i was you know getting bullied and at one point you know some girls really punched me in the nose because biracial uh, I didn't fit here, I didn't fit there, and they thought I was like, you know, some sort of, I would say the word would be mudblood because, you know, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they they were very much into Thanks. Harry Potter at the time, and they called me mudblood, and then they punched me, and I was, I told myself I will never let that happen to me again. And, and, and these kids were, and, and, and these <laughs> kids were Indian. Mm, yes. Oh, that's so that's so ironic because it's typically the the Arabs here and the white kids that bully the Indians. So it's interesting to see that instead of an increased sense of empathy, you have um, direct reciprocation. Where if one person is being segregated by a community, then they get them back by segregating another community. Now, I may be drawing an unfair comparison because in Indian schools, all Indians will ever see around them is more Indians. So yeah. it's weird for them to, but then surely with all the Indian history that they study and, and British rule and whatnot, they should be at least a little bit more compassionate, you would think. But, you know, this this takes us back to the, the conversation we were having the other day where, you know, what you digest in your literature doesn't have to reflect in your character. It's yeah, a lot more about exactly, upbringing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot more about upbringing and, to be frank, uh, the environment that you grow up in. If it's a toxic environment, it's going to lead to toxic behavior. Another question that I have is your mother. So she is a, a British lady. She is a white British woman without sounding too racist. Yeah. I see. I see. Um, so how, how did it come about? How did your parents end up getting married? Actually, I think that would be interesting. for the um, audience. They met in university and um, they fell in love because to them, wow. it, it was, I think they were both like-minded. They were both, you know, really smart and really yeah. driven. And 
they had their own, you know, they had an outlook towards life that was, you know, work, work centric. And I was mm. basically the mistake. It's one thing. It one happened thing one I night and then I became. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a bit harsh. You know, my, my parents joke with me and my s- s- sister as well. My my older sister. I have two sisters, a sixteen year old and a ten year old. No, a nine year old. Bless them. They both bully me a lot, but bless them. And my parents frequently joke with me and the sixteen year old that oh, you guys were mistakes. We weren't planning for you guys at all. But you know, the last one was planned. I was just like, I don't know how to feel about that. These things were, and you know, the, the nature of some like Indian insults as well when they're angry is so like parent centric. Like, I just want to snap back and go, like, Why are you insulting yourself? Why? Why? Tell me, tell me why. <laughs> so, it's just, but then, like, they just don't care so long as it, like, you know, gets the message across that you're a piece of shit, they will use any insult. <laughs> Man, man. Just to just to yeah, clarify, I was I, I was I was planned. Um, so just to clarify that, extra I was dumb. blind. Okay, no, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> You're also the. Oh, never mind. I'm I, not going there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 sorry, sorry. No, no. His parents were his parents are a lot more mature. Like when mm-hmm. they, they got married, they were a lot older when they got married. So you know, I I can see why. It's one thing, at least, that I like about um, universities, especially like cross-cultural international universities, where you have this cultural diversity. Uh, it opens doors for like cross-cultural, I guess, you know, a more um, affinity, love, where you can find people who are from completely different backgrounds. And, you know, not all of them will make the excuse that, oh, you're from a different background and my parents won't agree and this and that, cough, cough, certain people I know. Anyway, wallahi, if she hears this podcast, she's going to throw a spear through my heart. She's going to murder me. She's going to murder me. But yeah, no, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So um, you you said something about you said something about how your background and your culture were very informative, like insight into your childhood as well. By the way, I guess before we close off the childhood topic, maybe we can talk a little bit about you know how all this cross cultural exposure and as as I described it in my own words, the uh, culture electrocution that you experienced from moving so frequently between other places. How did that affect your mental health? Because you mentioned something about insomnia and nightmares. Uh, would you mind disclosing a little bit about that if you're comfortable with it? Oh no, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> one second. Okay, so um, basically, um, when I moved around, I think simply because my uncle was then telling me that you know it's okay to talk to people and you know connect with them, and besides, we're going to be moving around a lot, and I don't want you to be you know stuck in your books, so I want you to practice. And and I. Uh, it, I had like, you know, the most insane amount of faith in what my uncle said, because it, it, he's never been wrong. He, he's always, you know, said the right things. And I've, uh, it's almost always worked. And I related to him. I related to the way he, you know, just spoke about his thoughts and ideas. And I understood them. And he was basically, you know, training me to be a better person because he saw potential in me and then he wanted to hone it and harness it and, you know, put it to good use. So um, he told me that you, 
he kind of understood that I would want to write at some point of my life. And he already started, you know, teaching me, uh, you know, the basic nuances of writing and, you know, what story writing would be like, what article writing would be like, you know, giving me the uh, a more in-depth analysis of English literature than you would find in schools you know, and universities. You so, um, wait, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, right. So, um, I was, uh, when I was, go- you know, hopping around from place to place, um, I would take the time to go down, sit in a cafe and talk to people. And the, the, I think I sort of understood that, um, me, myself being biracial and then seeing all these other people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different walks of life, that, you know, you can't ever discriminate them for, you know, where they come from, what they are, uh, where who they are born to. It's it's not fair to anyone. And, um, I, you know, if someone says that, oh, you're British, no, you wait, you're Indian, you look Indian. And then I'm like, it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's... It's it, it it's not it's there's no point in saying that I think that you know patriotism and um, patriotism has been mm-hmm. one of the biggest causes behind you know yeah. so many disparities between people. But that's beside the point. My um, okay, so insomnia, <laughs> insomnia was um, okay. So how do I stop? Okay, um, there were a few incidents in my life. I'm kind of like an animal lover. I've loved dogs, uh, cats, um, horses. And there was this little incident. I have a farmhouse and we were at this mm-hmm. farmhouse and there was, um, so my, my, I had a dog, Rocky, and he, um, he was basically sleeping right outside my house, uh, right outside my door. And I was, I think two years old, I think. Yeah, two, two and a half, three, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. And I remember this clearly because of the eidetic memory. And um, so I, I, I was sleeping and then, you know, I just woke up and then I, I just look out and um, I see a snake, you know, slithering inside the room. And mm-hmm. I hate snakes. I despise them to the very depth of my being. And um, it, it terrified me. And um, Colonel! <laughs> and Rocky came in and um, the both of them had a fight. And I'm sorry, Dean, <laughs> what, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an asshole. Continue. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, so Rocky came in and um the both of them fought the snake and the dog and um the snake died and so did the dog. And that was painful. Uh, and uh, then I would see nightmares of people dying, people I cared for dying, and then it just got worse and worse and finally my body just stopped sleeping. It just didn't want to go through that cycle every single day. And I went mm-hmm. to hypnotherapists. Um, you know, I have a shrink. I've been trying trying sleeping pills, Ambien, for so long. And some of them work, some of them don't. They always have a side effect. It's never been healthy, but it is what I have. So, yeah, insomnia. <laughs> Phew, that is... Damn. Yeah, that, that just... Yeah. And no, I dog, think it's, dog it's deaths are always that, a trigger. Um, at, at some point, it was getting better, I think, around, like, eight-ish. Yeah, but then um, my uncle died and everything went, like, downhill yeah. from there. I was just going to ask. So your uncle passed away um, when? Ninth grade. Ninth um, grade. Uh, or towards the end of ninth grade, Damn. like, start of tenth grade, somewhere there. January 2018. 
That must have been very, very hard for you. I can only imagine. Um, think of losing the only person you have the most faith in in the entire world. And that losing someone who was your benefactor, your godfather, really. He was my godfather. So what happened? Did he pass away? Not in like Mario Puzo terms, but like Christian terms. I understand. So what happened? Did he pass away of some disease or um, something else? So he, for 10 years, he had known that he had a hole in his heart. And for 10 years, mm-hmm. he known that his kidney was slowly failing. And um, my aunt was the, um, you know, natural healing sort. So she was pumping him with all sorts of, you know, because she herself has a degree. She's a doctor. And... Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, she was you know just trying to get our you know natural herbs and stuff and kept delaying going to the hospital and you know getting him admitted and getting him operated and mm-hmm. uh, everyone said it was wrong that she should be you know taking him to the hospital and getting him checked up she and, sounds like an osteopath not an actual doctor mm-hmm. you know the doctors of osteop- osteopathy the ones that go into chiropractic and other you know quite frankly nonsense Mm-hmm. Um, or did she have an actual medical degree, like uh, an MBBS? Or no, no, she had like one of those, um, you know, those uh, small degrees, and you study so much for it, and you get the doctorate, you know. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sense, just, yeah. it was just a traditional doctorate, as you would for get for science or engineering. It was just it, a PhD. Not engineering. It was a, a medical-based field, but right, um, right, right. I, I, after what happened, I didn't even want to know. Because but it wasn't like, you know, a nine-year, ten-year degree that traditional doctors have to go through. It no, was, it uh, was more like a five-year, I think. Yeah, I get it. Oh, I get it. Okay. I get it. Yeah, those are a lot more commonplace now. Mm-hmm. You know, I would throw in the whole, you know, ulterior motive thing in here, but I feel that that's very insensitive and that's not doing justice to your uncle. May he rest in peace. Um, so yeah, we can we can move on from here. I'm I am truly sorry for your loss. It must be very hard for you, but you know yeah. it's it's nice to see it's nice to see that he raised a truly wonderful human being, and you know that's commendable. That's very very commendable very, on his part. So t- tell me what happened next. Tell me about um, we said you spoke a little bit about bullying. I think we did cover that. Um, tell me about the way forward. So when your uncle passed, I assume you started you know, at, at least trying to glow, cl- grow closer to your parents. Uh, you started living with them. Oh, right no. So <laughs> um, what happened? My uncle's death did not give that chance. <laughs> that, would, that was the tragedy of it all. Um, so my, my parents and I share like a guardian child kind of relationship. Like we will pay for your things, but otherwise you do your thing and we'll just go and live our lives and go be, you know, go to these countries and do our business and grow as like humans, but not as parents, you know? So, and um, at this point I had my sister with me. So I was like, I wasn't mad about it, kind of, because Mm -hmm. um, with me, I understood I had that capability, but now I have another person, another tiny human being who is also growing and I'm raising her. Why am I raising her? And that kind of, you know, raised so many questions and I got got annoyed. I, you know, we were already on thin ice and it just kept Oh, your parents showed no interest in raising your sister either. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they have like a bit more, you know, compassion and love 
for her because they're seeing they're seeing her grow more than they've ever seen me grow. I was already nearly like you know mature and capable of making my own decisions by the time they came to you know take me back and drop me off at nannies and babysitters. But with my sister, uh, you know, my mum was there for like I think the first three four months before she hired another nanny and you know dropped us off there. So yeah, that that was basically how it was, and we just. You know, I I made it work. I took things into my own hands. I wanted, you know, to make because I suddenly found a companion that I could rely on for my life. She was mm-hmm. my sister, blood of my yeah. blood. You know, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um. So. <laughs> okay. So um, she was she was literally the light of my life. I could not have been more happy when she was there with me. And I had like I she was born in sixth grade and when I was in sixth grade and um, then my uncle passed when when I was nearly you know towards 10th and this whole situation was you know off kilter because suddenly I'd lost the parent figure of my life and my parents weren't being responsible and I was literally you know having um, I was down I was spiraling into this you know volatile fragile sort of person and yeah. um, I also had to make sure that my sister was okay and that she would, right. you know, be as affected as I was, even though she'd only spent, like, I think, two, th- three years with him, like, just to know him, only, like, you know, with two vacations and stuff because she was with me and he was back mm-hmm. in the UK. So, um, yeah, we were. I-, I was basically keeping everything together for her and... The my parents' lack of responsibility towards anything kind of you know really got me angry, and then we found my uncle's will, and that changed everything because mm-hmm. he'd left seventy um, percent of his wealth to me. Oh, 10%. what a surprise! Yeah, ten <laughs> um, percent to my his son. 10% to his wife and the last 10% would be divided between his um and I did not know this until like we found the will that he had a wife and two children prior to you know my cousin I see, I see. and uh, mm-hmm. so they left a bit of money for him, for them and a bit of money for um the, uh, for charity and 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 so like your your parents side got nothing effectively he gave it to his immediate family his former immediate family and you yes yeah wow wow Wow. they must have been fuming they must have been fuming oh my god because well and you know what's the irony of it all that um just one uh, when he died just one day before my passport expired and I could not go and be there at his funeral. Oh, no, that's, that's sad. That's tragic, man. And that is so I, tragic. Oh. I, was, I was shattered. And um, the fact that people who don't genuinely care for him were there at, their, at his funeral saying sweet nothings that couldn't mean anything to anyone. Yeah. And then the that's will hit and they all showed their true colors. I, I remember you told me about this. Yeah, and same. I was just in so much pain because I wanted the best for him. I wanted the best funeral, you know, maybe play his best band, you know, favorite band, you know, and um, you know, just because I, I I remember having a talk with him, like, how do you want your funeral? And like, I had yeah. all these ideas, and it was like, 
it was just a fun talk because you know um i was always the morose sort so i would you know discuss all things death and beyond with you know him because i was mm. comfortable talking about those things mm. and mm. apart from other things i'm not that you know depressing but you know yeah what I mean. yeah but <laughs> so um, I, guess... I i i had all I, I we had already planned everything like we like ages ago we'd had this talk and now when i was living that moment i could do nothing and i had my Sorry. exams also so it was not like know i could do anything and i couldn't focus on anything i was i couldn't even stay in my own house because the whole tragedy of it all i couldn't even for you i feel for you i I was so sick i couldn't stay in my house so i went and stayed in my family friend's place um stayed for like a week or so and then my parents came back and um, they showed me the will and um i was shocked and yeah. then oh, well, there's nothing to be shocked about mate that's nothing to be shocked about you were effectively oh no 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 i was shocked because because of what came next oh um, okay yeah <laughs> they already drafted um you know a contract for me to sign over the money that i got to Bullshit. them Bullshit. The I uh, don't don't Jeez. don't don't please don't and i was fuming because Don't. we'd never had a straight talk before, and now when the, we are having it, it's for money. Such bullshit. And yeah, I know. It's it's, it's always uh, like this. I was, I was so mad. I was so mad. And to, um, to our listeners, just want to like, clarify something. I'm just trying to process all this uh, information. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's something. It's something. It's, it's a good thing I'm still a talker. It's a good thing yeah. I'm still a talker. So while you compose yourself, you know, uh, two things that I wanted to say. Well, one comment about, you know, how, how you said you were not depressing. Let me tell you something, right? The most depressed people are the least depressing. They're usually the most outwardly yeah. Uh, enthusiastic and exciting people because they want to make the people around them happy. It's this. It's more of, from what I understand from a couple of my friends, my friend Minhal as well. You want to see other people around you happy because you you can't have that happiness, if that makes any sense. But also, yeah. um, you'll find that the depressing people are usually the dramatic type. They tend to make everything go, you know, topsy turvy and, and depressing. And the other thing, the other thing I wanted to say is. Um, you know, wherever your uncle may be, he's in a better place and he's so proud of you, Alicia. He's so, yeah. so proud of you. I mean, he's if me really and Ali Hamid, who are effectively, you know, almost strangers to your life and to your personal struggles, are so proud of you, he must be so over the top. Like, he's telling all his mates up in heaven right now, up in Valhalla or wherever he is, that, yeah, <laughs> see, this this is my daughter. I didn't even give birth to her and this is my daughter. And you know what? That's so warm. That's so fine. Yeah. I need a moment. <clears throat> okay. Oh. Okay. No, no, uh, for real. He's proud thank of you. Thank you so much for that. Um, He's really proud of you, man. Um, He's really proud of you. You know, he didn't He didn't text me the other day and say that, tell Alicia I'm proud of her, but he is proud of you. I can tell you, I can tell you this much. It, it's no, a feeling more or less. <laughs> he would write letters, like actual physical letters to me. Yeah, because that's, that's adorable. He was the, that's adorable. That is really yeah. sweet. That's he was old yeah. fashioned that way. Yeah. He, he yeah. really lives a long life. 65, I think. I it was cool. Just a second. That's yeah? that, that's really letters are something profound. Letters, they, they they almost speak to you. Like when you hold a letter, it's almost like the person's there narrating to you. It it's not just it's not just like that in the movies. I've 
I've read letters that were written to me. I, I've had letters written to me like what twice in my life, and both times it was just such a, a magical experience. And I was just a kid as well. Someone wrote me a letter now. I would I'd probably break down. I'd be like, damn, I'm that important to you. So yeah. We should yeah. totally write each other letters letters on our birthdays. <laughs> anyway, so uh um, Yeah, yeah. Like in that sense, um yeah. getting a oh wow. That that's just you know, I think it's just more or less how much the person means to you that how much would you dedicate, you know, their time, your 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 things, your money. Like sometimes there are people who do that, like they buy them gifts, even though it's just like, you know, logistically it's so far off. Um, and you just kind of just think of it as a um, situation where you just, whoa, this, this, this person is so much to, means so much to you and everything. And you just like, you know, you spend so much time with them. You give them so much things You make sure they feel love all the time. And and when you get that feeling back, it's just a whole different scenario in the sense because you're overwhelmed with emotions because the love that you've been giving all this time to someone, and then they give you the same love back. You feel like you're finally being reciprocated, which you yeah. never expected in the first place. I, exactly. I totally get that feeling. I totally get that feeling, yeah. Speaking of, okay, now that you know we've sort of covered you know, your childhood, the bullying, the traveling and all that. I think all of the events that you've been through in your life, be it the trauma, be it the insomnia, be it the, you know, the mental battles that you've had, even the, you know, real life ones. I think it just, it also just changes you in the sense like you tend to function a bit differently than other people. You know, like your work, you're working, how you're doing certain tasks, all of that, how, for Al, Al, how how does it how has it like changed your manner of functioning? Yeah, what's what's the fallout been for you? You know, like you know how there's nuclear fallout after an explosion. Um, I would consider that right now you're what you're 17, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, so many years down the line, maybe three or so years down the line, what's the fallout like for you? How has that changed you? What do you do now? I remember you told us something about how your work ethic is insane now because you like to keep yourself distracted from these thoughts and these nightmares. How else has that has it changed you? Tell us about your work ethic. Tell us about the impact that it had on your so, life. Today. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I've always, so um, okay. How do I put this? Okay. Cool. Um, when I work, so um, oh my god, how does one explain the work ethic? Okay. <laughs> Just give me a minute. Um, I think I've always, again, I've always been driven by, you know, goals that I have. Mm -hmm. I, I think that because of all the things that I've been through, I've taught myself to be clear headed when it comes to situations that demand, you know, you know, uh, a lot of thinking, a lot of, you know, quick thinking and applying it to the best of your abilities. And um, because of that, Every time I come across a situation that demands something of me, I, you know, I identify what I need to get done and where I need to go and what is the best that I can do. And then I, I don't know, I, I, I bulldoze the damn thing. I, I, I literally work towards it and I don't stop until it's completed. I've, um, and I think time management is all the key because I've, I do a lot of things. I always keep myself busy, productive, because um, 
if you're an insomniac if you can't sleep you have you literally have to do something you have to keep doing something for uh for a while i thought that i had adhd but but then uh, it was um it was just you know yo every every dog and his nan with the ENFP personality or similarly infectious personality goes through a phase in their life where they think they have ADHD. (laughs) But then, no, let me tell you something, right? You reach the stage that you've reached and you kind of sort of figure out that, okay, I'm always going to be high on energy and I'm always going to need some form of distraction to stop me from from getting bored, some sort of distraction from the distraction. I'm always going to need something to keep myself engaged. And once you figure that out, the ENFP is the most, at least one of the most high-functioning, um, yeah, productive personality possible. Because it becomes more of, like, with us, time management is not like, okay, at this time I've got to do this, 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 this. No, it's more of, okay, I have this many hours in a day. I have this many things to do. One, two, three, four. You keep checking it off. And mm-hmm. instead of bothering about, like, each minuscule minute, Right. And you mm-hmm. sort of say, like, okay, in these hours, I want to do these things, and you do them at your own pace. And it just sort of kind of happens. What's the yeah. experience been like for you, Alicia? Like, does that make any sense? Yeah, um, I, get, I get what you mean, what you mean but um, for me, it's more like um, I have this much time available for, to me to do these things because, uh, again, uh, my schedule is always packed. I have always somewhere to be. I've always got something to do, either to teach or to learn or maybe, you know, just practice something. And um, because I keep myself so occupied, I lit- I really have to make a timetable for myself. You know, when I can do these things, how much time I can devote myself to it. And when I know that I have, like, for example, I have, you know, an R, um, I want to practice um, a Mozart piece, okay? Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, I, I'd first stop with simple finger exercises, you know, just C, D, E, F, G, A, B, and then go back. And then I would, you know, start practicing, honing time. And then it, it, it's it's basically, you know, a systematic method that I follow. I know how much time I have. I know that I need to devote this much energy to it and do the best that I can and make sure that when I'm done with this time I know what to do when it comes to this task so it's like you know it's always like a get the goal done as efficiently and effectively as possible and yeah it's it's interesting because you'd think that after such traumatic experiences the person would shut down and you know, not one to work. Like my friend, as I mentioned to you, Minhal, he says that for me, when I'm depressed, I sleep more, <laughs> not less. So how how does how does it work exactly? Like just briefly coming back to insomnia. I, I guess I it, my, it'd, it'd be uh, in, in, interesting for the <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. for the audience to know. Like, do you not feel tired or or what is <laughs> okay, it? Okay. Um, so I have a different diet compared to most people because I work so much. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm athletic. I'm, you know, I'm always engaging my brain into doing something. So, um, I don't feel mentally tired with the tasks that I'm given. I feel tired when it comes to emotions and the overthinking, because that's something that I've always had a problem with. I'm, I'm pretty sure Ali Harman has, you know, uh, told me off on it so many times throughout, like, <laughs> throughout all the years that we've known each other. Yeah. 
it's uh, it, it's really annoying because I have I've trained myself to think and look look into every single possibility. You know, sort of like Doctor Strange, or you know. Um, I understand. I understand. No, <laughs> overthought has been a defining factor <laughs> in my life as well. So I can totally relate to what you're saying. Yeah. It's so like uh, it's important you create to... situations that you know are just not going to exist because that's just not how things play out. But you create them in your head because. What if there's a 1% chance things do go that way? Then what? How are we going to react? And it's so damn ironic. You want to know why? It's ironic because I would think that you and I as people at least are people who think very quickly on our feet. If something changes, we're able to adapt to that change instantly. But we still pre-plan it. Is it a byproduct of the overthinking? Or is it just, um, you know, a thing on its own? I, I'm, I'm never going to no, know. I think it's a byproduct of overthinking because um, I find that overthinking has gotten done me more good than evil. Yeah. Even though evil is like yeah. 10 times greater than anything. It's it's really toxic. And I, you know, I can't just... I, so overthinking when it comes to logical decisions is amazing. Okay. Hmm. It couldn't yeah. be better. Yeah. I when can so hard relate. When it comes to emotions, when it comes totally. to the little nuances that you are, you know, face when you are having a conversation with someone, because when okay, so um, I'm having a conversation with you right now. I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about all the things that I have done and where I am right now. But I'm also in the back of my head. I'm thinking about what I, uh, you know, what you're probably thinking when I'm saying all of this, and that you're probably taking mental notes to, you know, drill me as to why I'm thinking these things later. I don't know. It's it's it literally just happens, and I, I don't think it's like a separate thing of its yeah. own. I think it's like embedded as a part of the whole overthinking concept. No one is a better judge of what is good and what is not good for you than yourself. And I think yeah. you've mastered that particular um, line of thought. So, yeah, well done. I, I just, I just, you know, for, for the audience as well. So, you know, without trying to sound insensitive, just so they don't think that, oh, this has been like a 50-minute sob story with no lessons. Obviously, um, the smarter ones will immediately see the lessons there are. But, you know, just to maybe condense at this point, I think, guys, the really important thing to learn, and I'll, I'll have your comments on, on this, Ali Hamid and Alicia, in a second. The yeah. really important thing to learn is even someone who's been crushed to this degree, who cannot sleep most nights, who um, is just so emotionally exhausted, can come out on top. And mm -hmm. so, you know, no one's comparing personal struggles. It's very wrong yeah. to say that, oh, you broke your leg. I once broke both my legs. Yeah, but that doesn't yeah. make their leg better. What are you saying, right? That's extremely... I, I once heard a TED Talk on this exact topic where people compare... I'm not sure if Ali Hamid was with me there or not, but I went to watch a TED Talk. Were you there at Yusuf's TED Talk in MOE? You yeah, were, right? I was there. Yes. I was there. I was there. Yes, so I think one of the speakers before that, she was talking about desensitizing other people's problems using your own problems. Yeah. But at the same time, in the same pinch, what we have to learn is... If the world tries to shut you down, you have to give the world the finger. You know, people like yeah. Eminem and people like Alicia, they really teach us that if you make the decision that you are going to give the world the continued finger and continue with what you want to do continuously and fight against your mental health by doing things that make you a better person, that you enjoy living life to the fullest 
forcefully against you know the will of your depression or the will of your insomnia yeah. or the will of everything that's inside you that is trying to bring you down that is the the pathway to excellence because i don't think there's anyone here who's not going to use um mental health not as an excuse but as a justification for their you know for their being turned off for their being uh how do i say you know um shelled up yeah he is really talk to yourself and say you human being with so much potential with the ability to walk to talk to see to think can mm-hmm. you really let your own emotions and your own mental health cocoon you like this or are you going to make the conscious decision to push through those shells and break through those shells and become a better person every single coming day and you know that that's when it starts flowing really when you find out what you want to do when you when you decide to live life for your own sake no matter what gets in your way whether it's your mental health or not you just want to keep working i think exactly. Alicia, behind your mental health is you want to do what you do you really really want to do it and nothing can stop you not even your mental health is that have i got that right have i nailed it absolutely i think that if you are insanely passionate and that you i think there's something that polo color uh Paul, Paulo Coelho said that um, really hit me once that if uh, I think it's been said a hundred times, but it still has the same impact that uh, if you love what you do, the whole world will conspire against you, but you still have to push yourself to get there and to do it. And I think that um, in a sense that if you really, really train yourself to, you know, not be narrow-minded narrow-mindedness has never benefited anybody but if you are um if you truly truly want what you want to achieve it doesn't yeah i mean yeah if you want to uh, if you want what you achieve what you want to achieve where you want to go in life if you have those things you know at least an idea of them i know people are there who even like at 12th grade or you know after they've completed university they don't know where they want to go they have absolutely no clue they're just going with the you know stop <laughs> so um i just raised my hand the, you know, the <laughs> yeah 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 really just um trying to tap tap into what they like i think on the inside they all know what they want in life and they just aren't ready to put that effort that conscious effort to get there and that i think would be the downfall of anybody so i think to really really invest your time energy um maybe money into the thing you love, you would be the best person for yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I, I read somewhere I, or heard somewhere that when you're doing something that you like, then, for yeah, it was in Sushant Singh Rajput's uh, 2016 speech. PewDiePie was watching it the other day, so I watched it with yeah. him. And he said that when you're doing something that, you know, turns your heart on and gets your gears grinding and something that you love, then focus, attention, sharpness, attention to detail, uh, and all these different things that people keep telling, you know, work hard, focus, be smart about it. All of these things are not things that you have to do. They're a byproduct of whatever it is you're doing. It just happens, right? And when you do something and you see that you like this more than anything else, that's when you know that, like, this is it. And you got to just lock in. It's hard to find that. But, you know, a little bit of introspection can mm-hmm. tell you what it is that you like to do. It could be something that you never thought would be. Like for me, I never thought that um, my deepest 
passions would be to go on TV, to give TED Talks, to, to you know, be on a podcast. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, I did those things. I lived a little bit of it. And I'm like, okay. I went from a closed-up bookworm to, to this. That's that's something that's something commendable. And I think if the audience can take away this lesson from this particular yeah. segment of the podcast, that'll be more than enough. I, I guess I guess that concludes at least the first segment or the first part of the of the interview. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Aliyan podcast. Join us again next week to hear the rest of what Alicia has to share. You don't want to miss it. Sending peace and love your way. This has been your host, Ali Adnan Raba. And your other host, Ali Hamid Zaidi. And Alicia Prakash. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.